The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 10, 30, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. You know, there are a certain moments in life that just naturally... All of the complexity of life is just easily untangled. And the things that are truly priorities stand out, and the things that are just complicating things and are not priorities fade away. Now, we are always trying to figure that out, but there's a few moments that come along in life where that is just easily discernible in a moment. And so one of those things we're, we're celebrating uh, as a, a church family and especially as a staff team, yesterday, many of you know Pastor Dan and his wife Stephanie, yesterday Stephanie gave birth to their fourth child, little Jack Gossett. We're excited to welcome in to our church family. He is a beautiful little, little guy. I got a chance to uh, go visit uh, little uh, baby Jack and got to meet him. He is the spitting image of his father. Um, I've got a picture here to prove that to you. Check this out. I mean, just look identical. Um, That also might be sleep deprivation you're seeing on Pastor Dan's face there. Um, But we are just so excited to welcome him into the world. And there's something about the, the birth of a child. That's one of those moments in life that like everything immediately come, like falls into place. Life is, yeah, it, there's a lot of things going on, but it's not hard immediately, instinctually, to just see what's important and what's not important. And, and those things are not fighting each other anymore. It, it's, it's like easy to see. And in those moments, we're wise if we learn from those moments and remember those moments. We're studying uh, the passage in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13, and in this series called Love Is, what we're doing is we're taking this concept of love that is so often in our culture, it's left as something that's uncertain, undefinable, something kind of mysterious, like what what is love anyway? And we're taking this idea of love, and and what's fortunate for us is that the Bible takes this idea and says, no, it, it doesn't have to be this mysterious, undefinable thing. It says, here is precisely, exactly, clearly, here is what love is. And it defines it. And so we've been talking about this the last few weeks and wrapping this up today. If you would, open with me to 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 1. 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 1. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, go there. 1 Corinthians 13. Verse 1, here's what it says. Let me read this. It says this. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain 
nothing. Now this passage starts out and it's really startling because the guy who wrote this, his name is Paul. He's writing this as a letter to to the people, God's people, the church in the city of Corinth. So it's called Corinthians. And he's writing these people about love and this is pretty startling the way it kicks off. He says all these incredible things that you could do, like these really high-level things if you're a person of faith. He says things like, if I had such faith that I could make mountains disappear because I had that level of faith. He says, if I took all that I owned and I just gave it away to the needy. He says, if I even believed and was so passionate about something that I, I, I gave my life up, surrendered my life to be a martyr. He says, if I did all of that and didn't have love, notice what he says. He says, it would be worth nothing. Notice he doesn't say, man, if you're really philanthropic and you want to give away your stuff, he says, it'd be, make sure you're doing it from a loving motive because that's better. I mean, it's still good, but make sure you're doing it out of love. He doesn't say that. He says, if you don't have love, you have nothing. So here's what he said. If you're not showing love, if you're not um, helping this attribute, this character trait of love blossom, if you're not doing that, then, then you've got nothing. And so here's what's, what we started with when we kicked off the series. We looked at that part and we said, okay, what Paul is saying, so what the Bible is saying, so what God is trying to communicate to us is that love is central. It is the key. And we, we sing about that kind of thing. Love is all you need. Our culture has these songs. Love is all you need. Love will keep us together and these kinds of things. The Bible says, yes, actually they have stumbled upon God's truth. Love is central. In fact, if you kept reading, if we kept going, if we had time all the way down, 1 Corinthians 13, at the end, he holds up the three cardinal virtues of the Christian faith. He says, faith, hope, and love. And then he says, but the greatest of these is love. Love is the greatest virtue. It is the key. So we started with this idea, love is central. Now the thing is, in our culture, that's not hard for, for us to swallow. We say, okay, we... We know that love is very important. Love is central. Love is the key. But the thing about our culture is typically we take it right up to that point and say, yes, love is that important. But then we don't define what it is. And we say, yes, but it's just this, some mysterious thing and you'll just know it when it happens to you. We typically don't define love. In the Bible, what's so great about this passage is it says, yes, love is the key, but I don't want to let you out of this passage without explaining to you precisely, crisply, clearly, in full high definition what love is. And so it lists these attributes. I want to read these to you. Verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 13, it says, yes, it's that important, and here's what it is. Verse 4, love is patient and kind. It's not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Last couple weeks, we've been digging into these attributes and saying, wow, okay, there's a lot here, but are there primary principles it's describing about love out of these attributes? And one of the things we talked about as we looked at these attributes, what it's communicating, excuse me, about love is it's saying love is fundamentally you before me. 
Love is fundamentally you before me. Love fundamentally says, I'm going to prefer you. I'm going to put my preference on you before me. I'm going to put you first and serve you. You say, how does it say that in there? Well, one of the things it says is love is not rude. What is rudeness? Rudeness says, I'm going to vent my emotion. I'm going to speak to you and handle you the way I want to handle you because it feels good for me, regardless of how that feels to you. Rudeness puts me over you, and love couldn't possibly do that because it puts you first. It says love doesn't insist on its own way. Love is not going to say, no, this is my way or the highway. Love wouldn't do that. It's going to put you before, before me. And so I'm going to say, okay, well, let's come to this. Let's talk through this. I want to hear your perspective, understand your perspective. Love is going to put you over me. But there's something else in here that it describes. It's, it's, and we came to this last week. We said, look, there's an important distinction that we have to figure out. Is love fundamentally... A feeling I just fall into? Or is it a choice I fight for? Because I might say, I'm going to put you over me because I just have such a strong feelings towards you. I have such strong feelings and I just have so strong affection and infatuation that that leads me to put you first. But fundamentally, what is this thing about love? Is it a feeling I just fall into? Does it just happen to me? Or is it a choice that I fight for? And these next attributes clearly pick a lane. It says love does not, is not irritable, it's not easily angered, and it, and it is not resentful. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. And that clearly says that love is a choice because there's going to come a time where emotionally I feel like I want to be angry. I feel like I want to sit in my bitterness. I feel like I want to go and report, go back over this record of wrongs that you've done against me. It says love, love doesn't do that. Love chooses to not be bitter and resentful and keep a record of wrongs. Love chooses not to be easily angered. Love is a choice that we fight for. Love is central. Love is you over me. Love is not a feeling we fall into, but a choice we fight for. Then there's this last set of attributes we're going to look at today, and it's this incredible crescendo that the author has about love. I want to look through these together. I want you to look at verse 7. It says this, Love, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. I mean, that's a powerful crescendo defining love. And this first one in particular is very interesting. It says, love bears all things. And it's kind of similar to one of the other ones that he said. Is he says, love endures all things. And they're similar, but there's a nuance that's different about these two that I want to explore. When it says, love bears all things, that means that love can enter into any circumstance or any situation and still survive. It can bear with any circumstance or situation. Let me define what I mean. Um, have you ever in your, uh, where you live, in your, your house or your apartment or, or wherever it is you live, have you ever seen or gotten those tiny little sugar ants inside your house? Anyone had that before? Okay. Um, if you have that, there's only one thing you can possibly do. Move. They have taken residence and they've formally kicked you out. Okay, they're they not going away. Okay, I learned that actually here at, at, in my office here at the church. Um, someone had given me this little wooden table 
and I put it in, in my office, and I think it had been sitting in their garage for a while, and one day I, I kind of fixed it up and everything, and I got there, and one day um, I saw this little ant go across, and I'm like, oh man, I, I hope this thing's not infested with ants. I just brought it in my office, and so I squashed it, and I said, all right, hopefully I'll squash enough of them um, that they'll get the hint and move out, okay? So I keep squashing them as they're coming in, and uh, a couple days later, uh, a friend of mine said, okay, you know what you got to do is you got to get those little traps that have like the, the little glob of, of uh, poison on them. you're nodding your head. You guys know what I'm talking about? Okay? These are miracle workers, all right? And you put one of those, that's all you need, and you'll see them like congregate around the poison, but it turns them into assassins, and they go back to the nest and kill all the other ants. And I'm like, all right, perfect, okay? That sounds cool. So I set up a trap, and I see them start to congregate, and the only thing that happened was more ants enjoying the poison, okay? They're having a little poison party around it. They just keep multiplying and multiplying. I put like all these traps. I clear everything off. There's traps everywhere, and they keep coming more and more and more. So I figured, okay, I got to take this to the next level. And so I got a fogger. Closed my office, I put a towel at the bottom, I put the table in the middle of the office, I put the fogger directly underneath the table, and I'm like, I am going to fog the snot out of this ant colony, okay? They will not survive this. And I waited until I knew I was going to be gone for a day or so, I put the fogger in there, I came in, I'm like, okay, they're done, put the table in. The next meeting I had, I pull over to this table, ants. I'm like, okay, this is getting crazy. I talked to the pest control guy that, that uh, treats this place. I'm like, I've got ants. He's like, trust me, I got this. I'm a professional. He sprays around the bottom of the legs. I'm like, you don't understand these mutant ants. Okay, it's going to need more than that. And he says, I got this. I'm like, okay, so he sprays it, ants. I call him back and I said, look, your spray didn't work. And this time he's mad, okay? He says, I'm coming right over, okay? He comes over, he kicks open my office door. It's like the Ghostbusters. He's got like a backpack on, a full suit, okay? And he walks in and he lifts over the table. He literally pulls the table over and he soaks the entire table in poison, okay? It's dripping, it's soaked, it's dripping off, okay? And he leaves, and two things happened. First of all, there are no more ants. Second of all, there have been so many chemicals on that table, it now glows in the dark, okay? <laughs> don't, just don't even come into my office. It's not worth your, the hazard to your health. Okay, ants, I read online, which means it has to be true. Ants, I've learned, they have found ants at nuclear blast sites, which means ants can survive a nuclear blast, okay? Ants are pesky. They can, and it doesn't matter the scenario. Okay, here's what it's saying about love. Love bears all kinds of things. In other words, love, real actual love, is not fickle, it's pesky. It sticks around. It bears in all kinds of circumstances. Now, you've got to hear this because this is truly profound. Because so often in our relationships, what happens in a, a friendship, a, a coworker, a neighbor, a family member, so often what happens in these relationships is something, ha like some, some offense happens, some toxic dynamic, and we just say, I'm done. And we say, I'm done. I am not going to do this anymore. Like, this is impossible. And we say that I'm done, and we blame it either on the person or the circumstance. And what's happening in our minds is this. Love is impossible to happen in this circumstance. It's too toxic for love to survive. 
Now, no question, there are times that relationships may need to augment. Maybe there's some boundaries that need to be set up in a relationship. But what this is saying, there is no relationship or no toxic environment that we are, can no longer show an act of love in some capacity. Love, and it looks all different things, and again, maybe it needs to change the way it looks in that relationship, but there is no circumstance that is so hostile or toxic that it means love cannot survive. It can bear all things. So no matter what, love can be shown in that moment. It says love bears all things, and then it goes to this other list, and I really think these other ones are expressions of that first one. It says love bears all things, and then the next thing is it says love believes all things. Love trusts all things. And if you've ever been in any kind of relationship, friendship or otherwise, at some point that trust gets violated and broken. But somehow what this says is that love trusts And so here's what that means. Because no no matter what, love can still be expressed in an environment. What that means is we can pick up the pieces and choose to trust. Again, choose to rebuild trust in a relationship. Does trust immediately go back to the way it was? Of course not. But what love does, if there's truly a love in a relationship, it says I will begin to rebuild the trust. It's the person that maybe broke the trust says, I will choose to earn your trust back, not demand it. And the person who's had their trust broken says, I will choose to start rebuilding trust again. That's what love does. It survives. There's no circumstance that says now it is impossible to love, even when it comes to trust. How about hope? You know, this is an interesting attribute that we don't think to, to uh, put into a relational context, but hope is so important for relationship. What is hope? Hope is that vision that I have that things are going to turn out well. Hope is that I have the ability to construct in my mind this a positive outcome here. And so often what does a relationship in, there's an offense, there's some brokenness, there's some hostility or toxicity in that relationship. And what we do is we lose hope. Well, this is broken. This will never return. And we lose hope. But what love does is it chooses to put the pieces back together and say, I am going to construct in my mind hope that this relationship can get back to something beautiful. Love chooses to hope. If, it's, if there's love there, it's going to choose to hope. It says, love bears all things, love um, believes all things, hopes all things. It says, love endures all things. And this is a really beautiful concept here. This idea of love enduring is the same idea of standing strong and withstanding whatever comes against you. Like, like, in other words, like an army withstands an oncoming army. It endures it. That's the sense here. So the Roman uh, soldiers, 
were known as some of the most fearsome warriors of their day and are known in comparison to, in comparison to their time period, might have been the greatest, some of the greatest warriors in history. And one of the things they were known for is their strength when their, their army is together to be able to withstand uh, an oncoming army at all costs. And with their tactics and, the, and their bravery, they're able to withstand those. And one of the interesting parts of their armor that enabled them to do that is they had sandals that were like ancient versions of cleats. And they had like these studs on the bottom of them that would dig into the ground. And they had those for multiple reasons. It helped them march through any terrain, whether it was uphill, rocky, slippery, downhill, or it was to hold fast for an oncoming army. So their feet were dug in and they would endure an oncoming army. That's the sense here. It says love will endure. Love draws a line in the sand and says, I am choosing that I am not going anywhere. I can endure, I can withstand. That's love. If there's actual love in that relationship, that friendship, that family relationship, if there's love there, if there's love there, they will stand firm and say, I can endure. Again, it may need to change, but it will endure. And then it ends with this I mean, beautiful way it puts this at the end. The very last descriptor of love is kind of a capstone for the whole, the whole passage. It says this at the end of verse 8, or the beginning of verse 8. It says, love never ends. In the ancient Greek, this word is literally love never falls, never collapses. In historical records, they would use this word for falling as in like soldiers who had been slain in battle, like they had fallen. Or you can imagine if a city is conquered, they might say that city has fallen. It's saying love will never fall. You hear what this is saying? Love cannot be conquered. It cannot be besieged. It cannot be beaten. Love will remain victorious. Love will be conquered. So if it's that real genuine love, it's that centerpiece type of love that you before me love. It's not this love that's just feelings I fall into. It's a love that I choose to fight for. That kind of love can stand victorious no matter what it's enduring. That's what it's talking about. Now, the beautiful thing about this passage is that this passage is true for any type of relationship. If there's love there, a friendship, a coworker, a family member, if there's love there, this is true for that. And we're taking this passage and we're bringing it specifically into the context of marriage. So for those of us who are single or single again or married for just a short time or a long time, we're bringing it into the context of marriage to either prepare us or deepen our, our marriage. And so I want to take this, these ideas of, of love and talk about how it plays out in marriage because it's truly profound. I want you to look at what each of these final attributes have in common because they all presuppose something, and you've got to hear this. It all presupposes and assumes that where love is being fought for, where there's love, there will be difficulty. In any relationship, 
it's difficult. Now, there's this phrase that we use at the end of fairy tales. Fairy tales end, and there's this kind of this, this capstone phrase we use at the very end. You know, there's some, maybe a prince and a princess, and there's, there's some dragon that needs to be slain or some evil that needs to overcome, and everything's happy in the end, and everyone's together, and then they say, and they all lived happily ever after. Well, that's great news. Everyone in the kingdom, they, all of them, every last one was happy forever. No one fought. No one ever got mad. There, no one ever got jealous. Or, I mean, never. They, forever, all of them were happy. No conflict whatsoever. And that's great to see like rolling across the screen at the end of the fairy tale. But we know that that is not literally how any story could ever end. I mean, that's just not life. Life is not happily ever after forever with no bad thing for anyone. Like we don't actually believe that, do we? <laughs> wow, I really got someone there. They, she did believe it. Okay. Here's what, I'm going to stand on this side of the stage. Here's some, I honestly believe though there's part of us that truly believes that at some point in time. Because here's what happens. What happens is in our relationship, there's, there comes a point in time, especially in marriage, there comes a point in time when difficulty happens and for some reason, it catches us off guard and we're surprised as if something strange has just entered in. Like all of a sudden our marriage, maybe it goes through a rough part or a rough patch and all of a sudden we're like, what is this? I never expected that we would go through this. I never expected to be at this place in my marriage. I never expected that we would be going through something difficulty. And if it catches us off guard, then what, this, what that makes us do is all of a sudden we think, did something go wrong? Like, what's the strange thing that's pulling us apart? Like, what went wrong in this marriage that all of a sudden there's difficulty? Like, what is it that happened? And maybe we panic. And, and here's where, like, really the rubber hits the road. Okay, if, it's, if marriage is just a feeling, then if love is just a feeling and marriage is built on that, then if something disrupts that feeling, we say, okay, what's wrong? Maybe I fell out of love. But if love is a choice that I fight for, and if love is something that says, no, I can bear with any circumstance. No, I, can, I will choose to rebuild trust. I will choose to have hope. I, I will dig in and I will choose to endure. I will draw a line in the sand and say, no, true, deep, real, actual love is tough and it's gritty and it's hard, but it's beautiful in the end and it will remain unconquerable and it will survive whatever difficulty comes its way. Can I encourage you, just first and foremost, don't be surprised when difficulty enters in. You're prepared. Love, actual love, is equipped for that. Can we talk about um, marriage for a second? I want you to go all the way back to the beginning of the entire story of humanity, Genesis 1 and 2. God makes the entire world, and on day 6, he creates humans. And what does he do? He says, I am going to create among these humans, he says, the first institution. And what did he create in that moment in the Garden of Eden? Did he say, hey, you need to come together, let's build a government. 
They say, you know what you need? We, we need um, a school. Can you come together and form uh, an alliance? We need a club. Does he say that we need a church? Like, what's the first institution he makes? What he says is, these two will come together. You will leave your father and your mother, and these two will become one. Spend the rest of their lives becoming one. You know what's remarkable about that? is he says you'll leave your father and mother, and Adam and Eve were the only people on planet Earth. They didn't have a father and mother. What's he doing? He's establishing the first, most sacred institution in humanity. It is marriage. It is sacred to God. And what happened in the garden, you should anticipate, will happen in your life as well. Something came slithering in to divide it. And they were tempted. They ate the forbidden fruit. And what's one of the first consequences of that? He says, Adam, what happened? And he said, she did it. The relationship gets pulled apart. I heard someone put it like this, and uh, it was funny but true. They says, he says, the devil does everything he can to take a couple and tries before they're married to get them into bed. And then he does everything he can once they're married to try and keep them out of bed together. There's a truth in that, that the devil wants to take a marriage and break it apart. Please, can you anticipate the enemy does not want you to continue doing the sacred thing of being two and becoming, spending the rest of your life becoming one. So you're gonna, you should expect that there are moments that you're going to have to say, I am going to have to bear with this, but love can withstand it. And, and I'm going to have to rebuild trust, but that's what love does. And I'm going to have to rebuild a, a hope that this marriage can be beautiful on the other end of this. And I'm going to draw a lot, just dig in and say, I am going to withstand anything and endure because that's what love does. Because ultimately love will conquer and will win. That's what love in a marriage does. That's what actual genuine love can do. What's interesting and, and, and important to realize, you know, we're not afraid typically of doing hard things. We're not. I mean, everything is hard. You know, keeping yourself healthy is hard. Your, your body healthy, working out, eating right, that's hard. I mean, building um, a career is hard. We work hard. Parenting is hard. Our hobbies that we love to do, like getting better at those, that's hard. I mean, everything is hard. We're not afraid of hard things. But so often we forget that marriage, that you're building something. And you're building something and it's going to be hard, but it's powerful and beautiful. In fact, it is the most beautiful thing that you are building. We started this morning with this idea. There are certain moments in life that come upon you when immediately everything, it just naturally and instinctually shows you what's truly important and all the priorities are clear to discern and all the things that are not important are clear to discern. And I just want to let you into kind of this roller coaster that uh, we as a, as a staff team have kind of been going for, some of the things happening in our, our staff family. You know, we talked about one of those moments as we're celebrating uh, baby Jack. But there's another, one of those other moments happened this week, and I want to share that with you. Last week, we talked about love. Love is this feeling that it's, it's not a feeling that you fall into. It's a, it's a choice that you fight for. And I went about our day on Monday, Tuesday. I went to bed Monday night and late that night. Um, while Rebecca and I were sleeping, our phones started blowing up with text messages and phone calls. And I woke up early, 
and looked at my phone, saw it, and I uh, immediately was on the phone with my mother-in-law, Jill, Rebecca's mom. And she said, look, I've got something difficult to tell you. Uh, Rebecca's dad, Steve, went out jogging yesterday, and he collapsed, and he was rushed to the hospital, and uh, he's been in a coma. And uh, I told Rebecca, and we just, you know, shell-shocked. We immediately jump into action. She makes plans. She flew out early um, Wednesday morning, and I'm like, keep me up to speed. What's happening? Tell me what's going on. We don't know anything yet. The doctor's trying to get back with us. And uh, by late Thursday afternoon, the doctors had met with them. They had finally gotten him in place to where they could kind of do some scans and, and look over his body, MRI, look at his brain. And they said, you know, um, his heart is strong. His lungs are strong. But as he was running, he got something called arrhythmia, which is where his heart just gets out of sync and just stops. And unfortunately, he was unconscious uh, too long, and we've done an MRI, and he says the, the damage done to the brain is catastrophic. He says, there's just nothing we can do. So Rebecca calls me, she tells me the news, and she says, you need to get up here immediately. And so I made plans, and early Friday morning, I went up there, and we all gather around his bedside, and we're standing there and our, with uh, our dad, my father-in-law, Steve. Healthy, active, just training for, just ran a half marathon just this, this year, was training for a marathon, a godly man. He was active, one of the leaders in his church, his godly family, and staying there with Rebecca's two older brothers and Rebecca's sister and, and all of us, the kids-in-law, and we're staying there with Rebecca's mom, Jill, and um, we all say our goodbyes, and they pull the, all the tubes out, and we just stand by his side and... There's nothing left to do but to sing hymns and to cry, to pray, and to read scripture, and to wait by his side. And if you could meet Rebecca's mom, my, my mother-in-law, Jill, she's just a gentle, soft-spoken, humble woman godly woman, but if you could watch her as she stood by her husband's side holding his hand, this was their, their anniversary weekend and they had plans to go spend the anniversary together. They were celebrating 47 years together. And she's holding his hand and the moment came, we, after 14 hours, he was strong, pushed through and at 14 hours, all of us standing around telling him we, we loved him and saying, it's okay, you can go. And there's, he finally breathed his last breath and we're all standing and we're weeping and praying and finally every one of us, we, there's nothing left to do but to just tell him we love him and say goodbye and to walk out. And after we've done that, Jill, my mother-in-law, she leans down and she takes his, his face in her hands and she puts her forehead against his forehead. And with such unmovable courage, she just looks at his face and she says for one last time, I love you. And she kisses him and she walks out. I know many of you have gone through something similar. 
And in those moments like that in life, they remind us of something. And can I just, I asked the rest of the family, I said, can I share this? Can Rebecca and I share this with our church? Can we share our grief with our church? And you have to understand all the siblings, the whole family has a strong, deep faith in our Savior, Jesus. Without flinching, they said, absolutely anything that can further the kingdom of God, please share it. And I said, what we want to communicate as a family to you is a reminder that moments like that show you immediately what is most important. Because life has a way of getting very complicated and very distracting. And men, can I just speak to you just a second to remind you of something? What are you building with your life? What are you spending your life constructing? What's the most important thing that you say, if I do this, I will be successful because the day will come for each of us sooner probably than we can imagine where we, we will be sitting there breathing our last and the reality that only in moments like this we remember is the only things in that moment that really matter are the, the ones that are standing around you in that moment. So let us not be so foolish to put the most important things on the back burners if something else is more important. Can I let Steve Ferguson's life preach to you for a minute that if you can breathe your last with your children and their spouses and your grandchildren singing hymns and clinging to their Savior Jesus with hope and courage, that is the mark of a successful life. Can you build nothing else before you build that? I'm holding in my hand this morning a nail. And this is something you build with. This is a reminder to think carefully about what you are building. Building a marriage and building a godly family, do you realize that is the chief thing you are called to build? It is the most beautiful thing. It is the thing that you will leave behind. It's the thing before anything else you are called to either prepare for or to dig in and build. It is the most important thing you can build. Please take this as another moment to remember that is the only thing that lasts. The only thing you'll care about. Build that. You know what else a nail is a symbol of? It's a symbol of what actual love looks like because it was a nail that drove through your Savior's hands, nailing him to the cross. Show you what love is. It endures anything that can be thrown at it. It's got its vision fixed believing something good will happen through this difficulty. It's something that digs and says, I am not going anywhere. I will stick it out and I'll, I will go through. It says, it will, I will sacrifice, I will choose to sacrifice whatever it takes, putting you first. Because I know love is the centerpiece. It's, it's a symbol of the love of your Savior. A love that we are supposed to replicate in our lives, first and foremost, in our marriages and families.
It's a call to love like Jesus. A message from the Ferguson family, from our clan, to you. If you don't know Jesus, in the end, you don't know hope. Because while we are devastated and grieving, you will find in every one of us an unwavering hope of we know where Steve Ferguson is. He's at the right hand of his Savior right now and he's better than he's ever been. And he went to church last Sunday where he loved and he served and Monday he collapsed and tomorrow could be your day. Do you have hope for where you're spending your eternity? If you put your faith in Jesus, that can all change today. I want to lead you in this prayer. If that's you, you want to put your hope in Jesus, I want to lead you just surrender to him and his love and his forgiveness. He died on the cross, but he rose again. He defeated death itself, his death and your death. So if you put your faith in Jesus, death is just the beginning and you can accept that right now. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? If that's you, then silently right there in your seat, I want to lead you in this simple prayer, just accepting the love of Jesus, finding his forgiveness and finding your hope for eternity. If you're ready to take that step, just simply quietly in your heart, pray this to him. Say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you love me that much, that you died for me to save me. Thank you that you loved me so much. You're the great bridegroom, the great groom. You love me so much that you came after me. Thank you. Thank you for washing away my sins. Thank you for defeating death because I know one day I'll be in heaven for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak with somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.